0: I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection.
1: ...to a wall in a prison, you still have freedom in the Holy Ghost. I recall the scripture talks about Paul and Silas chained to a wall in a prison. And even though that they were chained to a wall in the physical, they had the Spirit of the Lord upon them and inside of them, and they began to sing... You remember that story? It's one of my favorite stories and the walls begin to shake and chains begin to fall off. I tell you what, it doesn't matter this morning if you're feeling bad or bound in your in your flesh as long as you're free in the spirit. Then the chains of this world can fall off. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful this morning for a God that loves me. I'm thankful for a God that that uh, is here. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always going to be here. You can always count on that. It's good to have uh, LaDonna and Dalton Brown here this morning. Uh, I it's, it's always, always love giving LaDonna Brown a hard time. I, I used to live to give her a hard time. And it didn't change today just because she I hadn't seen her in a while. She walked in and I had to give her a hard time. I think I'm inheriting your some of your she did more of a hard time than I ever did. Yeah. She But I think I'm inheriting that from him. I, I don't know it's just the way it is I and uh I I just I just uh it's 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 part of me now. So, and tonight I, I want to uh have prayer for the Davis family when uh we're going to have them come up and we're going to pray for them. They're going to be leaving Wednesday. Early morning to go to the Philippines, and God is going to do a great and mighty work, uh, and they're going to see some incredible things, I believe, in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, would you please open uh, to 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 12? And then we're going to go to Psalms 139, 1 through 10. And uh, we're, uh, it's a little bit quiet in here this morning. I guess that may be the way it is always Sunday, but tonight, today it's really quiet. Are you all awake this morning? Alright? Well, I'm not. So, I'm trying to wake up this morning. For that man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Psalms 139, 1 through 10. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquitted with all, acquainted, excuse me, with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but O oh, But lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Whether shall I go from Thy Spirit or whether shall I flee from Thy presence. If I ascend up into heaven, Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell upon Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Amen. I want to talk this morning about the attributes of God. You may be seated. Uh, it's kind of hard to, in just a few hour, or an hour, if you will, or 45 minutes, even describe God. I mean, if you, it would take years and years and years to describe him, and then when you think you got him figured out, you you, you got to think again because God is—he's so vast, he's so great, he's so large. Just his creation alone, the oceans cover about seventy percent of the Earth's surface, but to a very large extent, they remain a mystery. They are unexplored and unmapped. The average depth of the world's oceans is approximately 13,120 feet, and what has been fairly well explored has a depth of no more than 556 feet, the approximate height of the Washington Monument. It has been estimated that despite remote-controlled underwater vehicles that only only 5 to 7% of the earth's ocean floor has been examined. I read an article the other day that uh, there is an approximate, I don't know how they do it, but scientists have have given an estimation that they believe that there is over 20 million tons of gold in the ocean. Now, some of y'all are going to probably... leave here today and probably go find, try to go to the ocean and find some of that gold. But it hasn't been harvested yet. There is untold fortunes in the ocean and, and most of it has not yet been discovered. And yet in an effort to uncover the ocean's secret, scientists have continued to work with what has been called the Lewis and Clark spirit of discovery. And just as vast and as much... Uh, as much things and riches, uh, oil and and gold and diamonds and and precious metals That has not yet been tapped into it under the ocean It is the same way in the spiritual realm There is, is uh, things that we have yet I don't care how spiritual you are or how much you know or how much you've studied There is so much more to know about God. You'll never ever truly uh uh uncover all of what God has to offer. I've I've heard we've heard the uh the, the scripture and read it over and over there is nothing new under the sun. And I've heard people say that uh there's thing uh, there everything's been preached. Every there's all revelation has been displayed before man. And I don't believe that's true. Brother Steve Williams gave me a, a revelation On that scripture, he said, just because the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun doesn't mean that everything's been known or everything has revelation to men. Just like uh, precious metals under the earth or in the ground or under the water. Just because they're here, they have not been seen. They have not been touched. If one could live a thousand years, he would never scratch the surface of the greatness, greatness of God. You, I don't care how long a man or woman lives or how long they study. They will never fully understand the power and the love, the mercy, the grace and all the attributes of God. You will never come to the end of it. The Bible says that His mercy endures forever. Forever is a big word. You can never run to the end of His mercy and His grace. If you're here this morning and you thought one second that... The, that you're unforgivable or anything you've done uh, cannot be forgiven. I want you to know this morning that regardless where you've been or how bad you've been or what you've done, God can still find a way to reach down because His mercy and His grace endureth forever. And He has given us the Holy Ghost that, we, that will guide us. The Bible says that it is possible that we can understand or know all truth. He said it. He said the Holy Ghost will lead, guide, and direct us into all truth. I believe. In, with everything inside of me this morning, that God's greatest desire for the last, for the last day church is to know Him in ways that we've never known Him before. I know we've had great revival in the past and it was poured out on Azusa Street and it was, it was poured out and there was a fiery revival. They seen some great things. But I believe that in the last day, that God's desire is for this last day church. The Latter-day Church is to have a revival like we've never seen it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I truly, I truly, truly believe that. I, I truly believe that the greatest revival has not yet been seen yet. That I, I truly believe it. I I believe that God is getting his people in or, in, in in order and, and and getting them in the position to see great and mighty things. I believe that our best days are not behind us, but before us.
0: All right. All
1: right. Amen. Well, it got really quiet there. I know that they had mighty revivals in, the, in 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 the in the scriptures throughout there and my grandpa told me of things that they they had seen and and miracles signs and wonders but I truly believe that God's last day church and we are living in the last day regardless how long you've heard of it and grown immune to the thought of it but we are truly living in the last day, and I believe that in this last day, in the latter part, that God is wanting this apostolic church to see a greater revival than what we've ever seen. I I, and I just I know this is not on my lesson, but I feel this in the Holy Ghost that, and I I've I was born and raised in this thing, and I feel like at times I. I feel, I feel like Noah sometimes. Well, we've been working on this, uh, this ark for a long time, and I'm sure at times that he felt, uh, insignificant, and he felt maybe like he was building that ark for nothing. He got weary at times, I'm sure, and he got disgusted. Maybe he did something wrong or built something wrong and had to tear it all down. And I, I can understand what he feels like. It's gonna rain one day. It's gonna rain. And we, we, we know how that feels. He's Coming back. He's coming back. But let me tell you something. It is not time for the apostolic church to grow weary in well doing. God is getting ready to display the greatest revival. Why? Because He's getting ready to come back for a church. I don't know how I got off on that, but I want to I just want you to know not to be weary in well doing. God's getting ready to display his power in a greater way than he's ever done before you got to believe that. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10 says, The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Paul, that faithful apostle of the, of the gospel, seemed overwhelmed by the unfathomable mercy and the grace of the Almighty. I'm going to tell you why he felt overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of God. Because he needed it more than anybody and he experienced it probably more than anybody that i know of in the scripture of when where he remembered where he came from he remembered of how he tested the waters if you will or tested god to, to see if god was truly a god of mercy when he said oh the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are your judgments and his ways past finding out and he, he if you know anything about paul he 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 was a, a killer of the Christians. He he hated everything to do with Christianity. And he needed God's mercy. He needed God's grace more than anybody that I could read in the scripture. And he was more his resume uh, was was uh it was it was clearly uh it was clearly uh Vivid that he needed the mercy of God more than anybody. And that's why he was able to speak those things. Clearly he longed for a more intimate relationship with the Savior that he might know Him. The Bible says that he might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And that is what he understood. That is why he was able to stand in the midst of adversity. That is why he was able to run to a chopping block. And that's why he was able to speak the scripture. He said, I pressed towards the mark of the high calling because he understood the mercy of God, never ran out. Right, right, right. I feel like preaching here this morning, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I feel like preaching here this morning. I, I know that God is wanting us to understand that His mercy endures forever this morning. His grace endures forever this morning. You cannot run out of God's mercy. You cannot run out of God's grace. I don't care where you've been or what you've done in your life. You will never outrun the love of God. Try as hard as you may. One cannot fully judge a person's motive. I got a point here and I'm not changing directions. I do have a point in any given situation. He may seem to be doing good deeds for selfish, selfish reasons when his motives are absolutely pure. Only the spirit of the person really knows the true motives within. This is all the more reason to be cautious in making judgment about others. It is also impossible for the carnal individual to understand the things of a spiritual God. The only way to know the things of God is by the Spirit of God. The only way that we can understand God is through the Holy Ghost. That is why that He Gave us the Holy Ghost is for us to understand the spirit world. That is the only connection that we have in the physical realm to the spiritual realm is through the Holy Ghost. You cannot understand spiritual things without the Holy Ghost. I, the only way that I can describe it is an AM and FM station. They are both on two different wavelengths. They're two different ways. They do not cross each other. They run run parallel one to another. And there's no way that you can get FM uh, stations from AM stations. Vice versa. You cannot cross because they run parallel. It is the same way in the spirit world. God God runs parallel and uh, the man, man runs parallel. And there had to be something that connected both worlds. And that connection was that of Jesus Christ. When he came into this world, he was as much God up here as he was man. But when he hung on the cross, he connected two worlds and brought two worlds together. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost inside of you, you're never going to understand the spiritual world. If you don't ever experience the Holy Ghost, you'll never really understand the mercies of God. You'll never understand the grace of God. You'll never uh, understand the love of God. That is why you have to have the Holy Ghost. That's our only access out of this world. The Bible says, unless you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, you're none of His. So we have to have the Holy Ghost to begin to understand the greatness of God. And when you begin, uh, when you have the Holy Ghost, you begin to understand how great He is. Do you understand that? You all of a sudden understand what it is like to be forgiven you all of a sudden begin to understand what it's like to be washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. Can I get an amen? Amen. Psalms 139 is a valuable expression of the greatness of the Spirit of God. It depicts three aspects of the Spirit's greatness. We normally refer to the supernatural attributes of God. Number one, I want you to hear this this morning in case you thought that God forgot about you. That God is all-knowing. He knows everything about you. The word sometimes used to portray this attribute of God is omniscience. It is omniscience. The omniscience of God really means that God knows all things. He is completely perfect in all knowledge. He knows everything about us. That can be scary. see, you really... He really knows what I thought this morning. He knows everything about us. In Psalms 139, 1-6, David defined the omniscience of God several times. He said, when he said, O Lord, Thou hast known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but thou knowest it altogether. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Uh, The phrases clearly show David's conviction concerning the all-knowing attribute of God. The omniscience of God is comprehensive. Of the entire scope of man's existence, the eyes of the Lord are on the evil, and He is uh, His eyes are on the good. There is nothing happening in this earth that God is not surprised about. When we see on the news or hear on the news or read in the newspaper about something that surprises us, God doesn't wake up and go, "Wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that. I, I already knew that that was coming." There's nothing that surprises God. Not only is His knowledge comprehensive about things pertaining to man, but it also includes all of nature. Listen to this. He not only numbers the stars, but He also calls them by name. Not some of them. But Psalms 147 and 4 said He calls all of them by name. There are billions and billions of stars. They're countless. Our Milky Way alone is is uh, millions of miles across, and all the stars, all the stars outside of the Milky Way, and all the other galaxies. God knows them by name. He calls them by name. He remembers it. He doesn't have a brain problem like we do sometimes. He doesn't have to have an iPad to write stuff down or a smartphone to get to, uh, to remember a calendar. He doesn't forget where he's at. He doesn't go, what's that guy's name? Wait, let's Google that. He doesn't worry about it. He knows it all. He he knows about all that. He knows how many hairs on our head and in mine. He doesn't have to count that high. I know. Is this, is it light clearing? Yeah, it's clearing off of you. He knows it all, and he even knows the Bible says when the sparrows fall. He knows about the pain. He knows how we feel. The knowledge of the Spirit spans all nature, indeed everything. Not only is His nature blessed by God's knowledge, but the human race is blessed as well, since God has complete knowledge of the total scope of human experience. The sense of God ponders ways of mankind according to To Proverbs 5 and 21 People should be sure their ways Are pleasing to God He knows about our failures Before we even fail He knows about our success Before we are successful The spirit it also sees affliction It sees the heart's cry And knows the sorrow of his people According to Exodus 3 and 7 With God who knows all things There is no past, present or future Everything is locked in the present He can step in every discipline dispensation of time he can walk into the, our future and he can go into our past All right. jesus uh, jesus had that attribute when he changed the water into wine when when he changed the water into wine how many know that the fermentation of the wine had to have a time process and he, but Jesus reached into the future and he, gra- he, he grabbed out wine and he gave it to them. He, he, he can step into every dispensation of time. Time is no, uh, it, it, there's no problem to God. That is why we should never worry about our past. He's already taken care of it. See, while most of us live in the past and worry about things in our past, God has already stepped back in there and forgave us of things in our past. He already has taken provision for our future. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. When we, you know, we lay in bed at night and wonder why we can't sleep and we worry about the problems, we worry about the work day tomorrow. God's already been there and made provision and taken care of it. We don't have to worry about things. If we would spend less time worrying and let God take care of things, we would have uh, we would have longer lifespans. We would have less gray hairs. I would have more hair today, Brother Davis, if I would have learned to let God deal with my problems instead of holding on to them and worrying about it. God can take care of any issue. It doesn't matter what it is. Isaiah 46, 9-10 lends accuracy to this statement. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times the things are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. God always has His way. God is in charge. And when you put yourself under the power and the authority of God, you don't have to worry about anything else. He takes care of it all. He takes care of it all. He sees it all. William Evans, in his book, The Great Doctrines of the Bible, expressed uh, God's uh, power and knowledge uh, fluently when he said, we are like a man standing by a river in a low place, and who consequently can, can only see that part of the river, only that passes by him. But he... "...who is aloof in the air may see the whole course of the river, how it rises and how it runs. Thus it is like that with God." A lot of times when we are so close to problems and so involved, we don't see the big picture. We don't see God working on the outer uh, limits of our problems. And we worry and we, we think that uh, we, we get consumed with issues and problems. Could it be that we are so close that we don't see everything in the picture? And God is doing things on the outskirts of our problems. God sees all. We at times get so consumed with life. It's because when you're so close to things, you don't understand, uh, uh, you, you can't see past it. When you're so close to an obstacle, you can't see past that obstacle. But when you rise above it, you begin to see all the problems. And I, you know what? That's just like that's just like when people people whether they get sick or have uh, have uh, tragedies in their life. It is so hard to see the big picture of things. I remember my cousin when he, he got cancer and they, they get, they didn't give him long to live. I was so close to him and so, I got so consumed with, with the loss of his death, but I didn't realize what was going on in that course of time when he was dying. When, before he, he got sick, he didn't want anything to do with God. Before he got sick, he really didn't want much to do with his family. And I I was, I was praying, I said, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But on his deathbed, I had never seen that man cry. I had never seen that man broken. And, and uh, I, I was so close, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here, that I was so close to the issue, I didn't see the, the greater picture. But God did, and in this sickness, in this time of trouble... God began to work on him and God began to break his spirit and I'd never seen that man tell his wife that he loved her. I'd never not one time ever seen that man ever wrap his arms around his kids and, and tell them he loved them. But in this time of sickness, that's the first time I ever seen that man broken and on his deathbed. I seen that man begin to speak in other tongues as a spirit gave the utterance. And it took that. But I was so close to the problem and I was trying to pray that God would bring him back and heal him. And God was telling me, you don't see everything that I see. I see it all. You only see the problem. And that's the way it is with man. We only see the problem. But God is over it, looking down at it. And He sees it and He begins to make provisions on the outside of our problems. And God begins to work miracles in our life. Somebody this morning needs to step away from the problem and let God deal with it. Because it's not going to get fixed until you let God fix it. All right, good. All right. good. So David, he experienced trying to get away from how big God was. Because, he said, it didn't matter, no matter where David went to get away from the presence of God, he could never get away. He tried to run. This scripture says, it's, 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 it's proof that he tried to run. He could not flee anywhere to escape the Spirit of God. If David went to hell, he said. He was there. He said, if I went there made my bed in hell, he said the Spirit of God will be there. You cannot outrun God. Right. I've had people many, many times tell me, they're sitting in this room today, they say, I just feel like I'm a million miles away from God. Has anybody ever felt that way? That is physically... And spiritually impossible. You may feel like you're a million miles away from God. But if God is omnipresent. If he's all over. Then it's impossible. For you to be a million miles away from God. David said, if I make my, if I go to heaven, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. He's always going to be there. Another quote that William Evans states God is everywhere and in every place. His center is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. He's in the middle of it all. He's, he is in the middle of every situation. But he said, but this presence is a spiritual and not a material presence, yet it is a real presence. Jeremiah said it well. He said, am I, am I, am I God, excuse me, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in any secret place that I, he shall not see me, saith the Lord? Do not I feel the heavens and earth, saith the Lord? He is everywhere. When you feel like you're alone, you can rest assured that you are not alone. There are numerous verses in the Scripture that reveal that God is on my presence, which means that He is everywhere at any given moment. You cannot go anywhere that He's not. There are numerous Scriptures. And I'll read them, but I'm going to make a point. I remember Running from the call to preach. I remember it was so, it was one of the most miserable years of my life when I was called to preach at five years old. I remember uh, it was so vividly. I've shared this many times with you because it has made such an impact on my life. At five and six years old, I sit on the third pew with my mom, and God called me to preach. And I was such an introvert, introvert and I didn't want to get up and speak to people. I, I was embarrassed to speak one-on-one. I was locked in myself, uh, and, and I would run from it. And until I was 18 or 19 years old, I ran from the call. And it's funny how we think that we can hide things from God and run from God. Isn't that so silly? So I'm running from it. I even moved to Tennessee to think he wasn't there. Kentucky. I probably should have went to Kentucky. Or maybe Greene County. I did. I ran all over the place. Running, trying to run, trying to get rid of. But I'd wake up in the morning. It's the first thing I thought about. I I, I, sleepless nights I'd go to bed at night and I couldn't sleep he was there and I worried and I was miserable and I made everybody else miserable around me when you run from God you're not a very pleasant man or woman you make everybody miserable I made dad mom miserable You get on the phone call them I'll give you their number I was the most miserable person in the world I hated Life, I hated people and it was all hinged off because I was running from God and I was too dumb in my mind to realize that he was there everywhere I went and I tell you told you to tell you that. That when you walk out of church and you decide to backslide, you you decide that you don't need God anymore, don't you think that you're running from God because He's on your trail until the day you die. When you breathe your last breath, He'll be standing over you, telling you, I love you, I need you, I want you, i got to have you. You think He quits being your dad just because you think you want to walk out of here? You think he quits loving you because you'll walk away from him. He'll chase you. He'll make you so miserable. He'll put situations in your life and, and, and in front of you, and you'll think that it's the devil. He, he, you blame, we blame a lot of things on the devil, but some, a lot of times it's God baiting us back in, saying, hey, I, I want you back in the fold. I want you back in the church. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 said, And Jesus came and spake unto him, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which that name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost of Jesus, teaching them to observe all things whosoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. He goes with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. One of the greatest tricks of the enemy is that he convinces people that God leaves them. And that God doesn't really care. And that when you wake up tomorrow, and, and that he's not going to be there. But the omnipresence of God is a comfort to all those who fear and love Him and seek and please Him in all their ways. He is always near and He's always able to help His children. His omnipresence may not be such a comfort, though, To however, to those who do not reverence Him. It is a reminder of people that love Him that, He'll never leave you, but it is also a reminder to people that God is always watching. We don't like to think about it, but He knows everything wrong we ever do. And it got even more quiet. If we would would come to that understanding that God has never left us, nor will He ever leave us, we would probably think things twice through before we say or do God's watching. I remember as a kid knowing that God never left me, and He was always there as a kid. And I was always scared to death to, to mess up. I remember going to bed at night, and I would repent probably for an hour because of things I had done. There was a, there was a reverence and a fear that God was always watching. He, he, he always knew what I did. He always knew what I thought. I, I, it was, maybe it was me, but I was so paranoid that maybe it was my dad that put it in me. He said, I know where you've been. I know what you've always done. And so when I walked in, you could see it all over my face. And when I stole a piece of bubble gum, and I did when I was a kid, my dad could read it. I was so guilty. And I think that that guilt or that, that, that feeling stemmed from knowing that nobody else saw, nobody else seen it, but God seen it. And everything I did, I was always thinking, well, he's watching it. And there was times I did, I would do things. I'm hiding it. Now you know, we do that. Well, you better be careful what you do in this last day. There's cameras everywhere and everybody's got cameras on their phone and cameras on their car and cameras on their trees to watch deer. And You better be careful. But I guarantee it, what cameras miss, God sees. We have... Preaching ourselves under conviction here. We forget... That God still sees things. He still is able to read our hearts and our spirits. He knows when we hate. He knows when we have aught against our brothers and our sisters. He knows the very thoughts that cross our mind. That's why we need the Holy Ghost to lead, guide, direct us into all truth and to cleanse us, to keep us righteous. Is anybody perfect? No. Perfect is sincere, but perfection not. We've all failed. We've all messed up, and God sees it. But if we would understand that He does know everything about us, we would be less prone to go out and say or do. We've lost the godly fear in this last day of God. You can see it in our country. People that used to be what... I mean, they weren't churchgoers, but they believed in, they believed, they believed in Jesus. they've lost it all, they lost all kinds of fear. they don't care anymore. And I, I believe that that is the beginning of salvation is fearing God. and we've lost it, but we've got to get that back. David, having experienced the leading of the Lord, said, "There shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me." David knew that the Lord was all-powerful. I don't know if you've seen, if you've seen any of the video footages on, on, on the missiles launched against, some of the missile launches and, 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 uh, against Israel that some of the, uh, the terrorists have tried to unleash on them. Has anybody seen that? Did you see those 30 or 40 missiles that were shot up and they, instead of going towards killing Israel, they started going up and going back. Did you see that? Am I the only one that's seen that? It was, an, it was amazing. The, the powerful hand of God and protection. Has anybody in here ever experienced that provision? Can you, can you, can you give me a, a, just a quick win? Yeah. I I believe you probably went through it. Yes, sir. Can you all hear him? There
0: was a lady, who... Thank you. There was a lady um, that I know in Oklahoma. She's like my second mom in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, she told a story. That she said it changed her life. Um, she had great faith in God. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. I don't know if she's been baptized in Jesus' name, but uh, she she has a Holy Ghost. And she told me this story. And it's always left an impression on my mind. She was driving down the street. I should say the road, out in the country, and she went down over this hill, and there was an 18-wheeler stuck right in the middle of the road. She had no way to stop. And when she slammed on her brake, she just closed her eyes and held onto the wheel, and she put her faith in God. I mean, she she didn't have time to talk. She didn't even have time to say Jesus. She just closed her eyes and squeezed the wheel, and she felt the car stop. And when she looked up, somehow she passed the 18-wheeler that she should have hit. And she said there was a large group of people that ran to her car. And they were knocking on her window. And she rolled down the window in bewilderment what happened. And they said, ma'am, we want to see the woman who God protected because they said you were going to hit the back end of a semi. We literally watched the semi actually do a jackknife while it's standing still and allowed your car to pass and your car stopped. We wanted to see the lady that God intervened for.
1: God never ceases to amaze me. I, uh, if you read the book Brother Sullivan wrote, on, it's called Fat Bones. He's got a picture of a, uh, of a, uh, a man in there. You probably will end up meeting him. I can't remember his name. But he was from the Philippines, and I think that he was in a gang. Was it was the triads have over there. I think it was the mafia type gang. Brother Sullivan said that he was uh, he was a part of that gang, and he said that when he got the Holy Ghost, Brother Sullivan baptized him. He became a pastor, and the gang sought to kill him because he was converting some of the gang members out of the gangs, and they was having revival. And he was sitting on the front steps of his church, and this gang member walks up to him at point blank, and emptied five, put five rounds in his gut. Now I don't know if y'all know anything about a 45. I I don't know if one could physically live through that. But what happened is the bullets went through his shirt, hit his skin, and made just little nicks, little bitty blood. Trinkles and fell out onto the sidewalk, mushroomed the, the, the bullet, mushroomed and fell out. There was five of them. And that man, God did a miracle in that man's life that shot him. I'm telling you that God is a powerful God. And God makes provision for his people. God makes provision for his people. He is omnipotent. The word frequently expressed, the, this attribute of, attribute of God, the omnipotence of God, enables him to do anything he desires to do. God's power absolutely has no boundaries. He is a powerful God. I could stand up here all day and tell you about the things of God and what God has done. I remember uh, my granddad, uh, they were on a tree, cutting trees. My family uh, owned a tree company. And my dad was dropping a tree. And he notched it right. It was leaning the way my dad was supposed to notch it and drop it. It was a huge, huge oak tree that was dying and that they had to have out of there. And my dad was dropping it. And I remember looking at that tree. And all of a sudden it was getting ready to drop where it was supposed to. And a wind came. It was such a strong wind that started to blow it. It it fell. It started falling and, and cracking. Now... I've been around them and I've dropped a lot of trees and it was going towards this man's house and this place. And my granddad, he pointed his finger at it. He said, I command you to fall the other way in the name of Jesus. Winds, stop. That tree was laying over. That wedge was gapped. It was laying over and that tree pulled back up straight. And twisted and fell where it was supposed to fall. And I remember watching my grandpa. Grandpa, He didn't get excited. He, will, he said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. He experienced The thing about him was it's, he was amazing, an amazing man. He, he experienced that kind of stuff his whole life. It didn't shock him. When he seen the dead race, it, he, was, he was happy. He was excited. It was nothing. He was on a job when a man fell off of a scaffolding and, and a, a, he was, the guy was dead. And there was about 40 or 45 construction workers around and people were that was their friend laying on the ground. he was dead. My grandpa walked up in the middle of him, and he laid his hands on him, and he said, "Lord, God, you're all powerful, you're the resurrection, and I'm asking you to breathe life back into this man's body and God raised him up. he's seen it all the time and and we we should be part of that. we should see those kind of things. All the time, knowing that our God's powerful, but we limit Him. Yes, we limit Him and we doubt Him. But He is a powerful God. He is all powerful. Job expressed it this way: "I know that Thou canst do everything. Everything." Here is a man. That was so down on his luck, had everything taken away from him. He lost his house. He lost his servants. He lost all of his children. Just in one, didn't the wind blow the house down and kill all of his children at one time? And, and there was even somebody there to remind him, every time he lost something, what he what had lost, that he lost. If you read it in in, in Job, when it, telling the story, every time he lost something, somebody would come up and say, I, I was there and I was alone. Even me, just me alone was there and seen it. I witnessed it. And the devil always leaves somebody or a voice around to remind you of what you lost. And that's what he endured. His own wife. The one that was supposed to have his back reminded him that he was a failure. And you must have, uh, you, why don't you just curse God and die? And his friends stood over him having a big old pity party for him, having an intervention. You ever had an intervention? Nobody's ever intervened for you? It's embarrassing. Oh, you're so pitiful. Look at him. They're talking about him in front of him. Look at him. Look at the sores on him. Look how pitiful he looks. You ever had that? And so he, Job, he had every right to be depressed. He had every right to be broken down. Woe is me. Feel sorry for me attitude. But he says, I know that God can do anything. Though He slay me, yet I'll trust Him. Why? Because I know He's all-powerful. And having that kind of faith in God makes all your problems and everything else seem less painful. Less painful. The nature of God, of the Spirit, the moral attributes of the Spirit is expressed in many ways. Uh, Number one, God is holy. He is a holy God. He said, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The only, only. He's the only one in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. He was a holy God. God is holy, His holiness is uh, prominent among his moral attributes. Isaiah declared Jehovah to be the only holy one at least thirty times in this writing. Further, God desires his people to be holy. Amen. The Bible says, "Be holy as he, as he is holy. The desire of God for a pure people as well. Uh, documented in the Scripture, the following verses of Scripture reflect the intense desire of God for holiness. The Bible says in Psalms 99 and 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Isaiah 57 and 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, uh, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of A contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones Isaiah 57 and 15 God is a holy God and He expects His people to be holy the Bible says be holy be separate thus saith the Lord the church has to be holy the Bible says that we have to be holy. For ho- if, uh, Without holiness, no man shall see God. God who loves holiness and wants His people to be holy was willing to become what He was not so that we who believe on Him can be transformed and be holy. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus and filled in the Holy Ghost, you will begin your journey to become holy. You're not going to have everything in place. You're not going to have everything perfect. But you should strive to be holy. Holy and separate. In every way. The way we act. The way we look. We should be holy. The way we should live. Jesus, He was sinless. But He became sin for all. Who is uh, and become the sacrificial lamb atoning death on a cross. All who were sinners can now put on the robe of righteousness provided by His death on Calvary's hill. His willingness to die on a cross shows what value the Almighty places on holiness. He places great value on His children, but He wants them to be holy even as He is holy. It's right to be separate. It's right that the church, the true church, look different than the church of this or the, than the than this world. Number one, above everything in my mind, about who God is, and we talked about this Wednesday, that He is a God of love. He is a God of love. We, me and Sister Dean, was talking before church, and we was talking about how people have uh, the churches have kind of. Wanted thrown out the word love because it's, it, you know, I got to be very careful. See, the world views God. God is love. And it doesn't matter what you are, what you do, or how you live your life, but God loves and He accepts everybody. He accepts you for who you are. It doesn't matter. And that's true. He doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. But he expects you to change. God loves the sinner and hates the sin. But he, and, and, but we, have, we get scared of talking about oh love and love this and love that. We get scared because we're afraid that because if we love somebody, we, ex- we accept what they do. Or approve, excuse me, what they do. And that's not true. Because you can love somebody without approving what they do. It's Just like Jesus, when the woman that was thrown at the feet of Jesus was caught in the act of adultery. He loved her, but he didn't approve of what she'd done. He told her, go and sin no more. But he protected her and gave her mercy. First John 4 and 16, And we have known and believed in the, the love that God hath given to us. God is love, and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. The entire fourth chapter of First John deals with the Spirit of God as He relates to mankind. It develops the thought of God being love. First John 4 and 7 states that God is of love. John 4 and 8, And 16 uh, 16 takes the idea one step further and plainly acclaims that God is love. The chapter closes with the commandment from God that he who loves God also must love his brother. The idea of God being love is strange to the minds of heathens who are more accustomed to gods of wrath and anger and cruelty. You study rituals of chi- children being thrown to crocodiles and sacrificing their kids uh, and, and burnt offerings to try to appease the wrath of God. Sometimes it takes the form of uh, and, and takes on the form of cutting themselves. Uh, I've seen uh, footage where people believe that in order to prove God that they love Him, that they they get really truly get crucified. Down in Mexico, I see I've seen videos. uh, around Easter time they try to prove that they love God by hurting themselves by whipping themselves by really getting crucified to a cross and so they make these fruitless offerings and observance in vain but they are common among the heathen A God of love, only in Christianity does the concept fully exist that Jesus came and he died with an unconditional love. Unconditional love, unconditional love, which means that there is no strings attached. He will love you regardless what you do. I have a friend. His son, her son, his his son, her son, both friends of mine from Illinois, that they have a son that was born and raised in the church. He is a homosexual. He has a what he calls a his husband. And she told me, she said, Adam she said i love my son so much she said and but what his his lifestyle she said it sickens me she said but i come to the conclusion she said dave and i she said come to the conclusion that if i cast him out altogether i will lose my son she said so therefore i i want i love my son so much even though I do not approve of his lifestyle. She said, I am willing. Don't you judge until you've been in the middle of it. and You had to deal with, with one of your children, one of your grandchildren that you love. She said, when we have Christmas dinner, she said, he comes and he brings his friend. She said, do you think that I'm comfortable sitting at the table with that? She said, I'm absolutely not comfortable with it. She said, but I know that the only way that my son will ever change is if I show him that I love him regardless of what he's become. She said, yes, I could just tell him that I don't like what he's doing, and I do not, she said, I do not like the person he's with. I do." She said, I do not like him. She said, I just don't approve of it. She said, but I know that I will lose him for eternity, and that there will never be a chance for him to love God or make his way back to the church if I cast him out altogether. She said, so I've had to accept him without approving him. and we uh, talked about this Wednesday night that there's coming there's, there 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 has been and there's coming times in the future maybe tonight that there'll be people that come in the church that they, that we do not accept what they do it is horrible we think it's the worst thing in the world but we got to learn how to love them without approving And there's people that listen to this podcast, and I'll just say it for, the, for people that hear it. I know there's gonna be times when that we possibly will get arrested or whatever for speaking out against the homosexuals, the gays, and the lesbians. But let me tell you this, we love them regardless what they've done or where they've been. And I, I serve a God that loves them without any strings attached. That if Jesus came and died when we were yet sinners. And oftentimes we forget the scripture where he names all these ungodly things, murders, idolaters, and all these things. But then he says, but such. So none of us have any way, any way of shape and form should ever be pointing our finger or, or looking down our noses at people or judging people. Right. The Bible can judge, we can preach truth. But to say that God doesn't God doesn't accept you or whatever for how you live, we were right there with them. He numbered get this he numbered the the liars and the backbiters. Right along with the murders. And right along with people that worshipped other false gods, he, he, he linked them all together. And I, I'm going to tell you, it's just as bad to have bitterness in your heart against somebody as it is to murder somebody. It's That's Scripture. He said if you even hate your brother, you've already committed the murder in your heart. It's just as bad. We just hide it easier. We're good at hiding it. We, we are. Let me get past that. I'm going to finish up here. He is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is nothing else. I, will, I am firm on this, believe this, that there's no other way into heaven but through Jesus Christ. Amen. I've heard people say, well, there's a bunch of different avenues unto God. We believe in one God, yeah. But then he's got little prophets here. He's got the prophet Jesus, and he's got the the prophet Muhammad. He's He's got Buddha, and he's got all these little avenues, and they all filter into this one God. Have you ever heard that mess and hogwash? The Bible says that there's one Lord, one faith. One baptism, not two baptisms. There's not four different baptisms. There's one way to baptize, and that's through Jesus' name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one truth, and that's Jesus Christ. If you're trying to build your way to heaven on any other doctrine, you're not going to make it. You say, Brother Hill, what about people that didn't know about it? That's on them. But when you are revealed truth, you're required to obey that truth. To whom much is given, much is required. And when we know that God is truth, and Jesus is truth, Jesus in God, God, Jesus uh, is God in the flesh, we know that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And if you try to build on any other foundation, you're going to lose out. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, and he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, and shall he speak, and he will show you all things to come. John 16, 13. Truth is pure. It has no error. You know, people that, that, that lose out in God, they, you know what, that where it begins? they start questioning the Word of God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Once you start questioning one verse, yes, you're vulnerable to start questioning it at all. Yes, yes. My friends that, have, that are not in the church today or went some hogwash doctrine, I have one friend that doesn't believe anymore. He still claims to be apostolic. But he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He doesn't believe it. You know what I did? It's probably gonna make you some of you mad and say, "Well, why? Why can't you be forgiven?" I I deleted him off of friend, my friendship uh, on Facebook. <laughs> now you know. It might show him. You know what? I don't want. Listen to me. I'm connected to, I'll be connected to sinners. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with the worst of the worst. But once somebody knows the truth and, and knows truth and has experienced truth, and when they say, that's no longer the truth, I don't want to be connected to them. I'll pray. You hear me? I'll pray for them, I forgive them, and I love them. But once they start saying, this is hogwash, this is not the truth. I don't want my kids seeing it. I don't want my family seeing it. I don't want to be connected to it. Because I know what truth is. You know where it started with him? He started questioning the one verse in the scripture. And once you start saying, well... Maybe this, this is not really wrong. This is wrong. This is a misprint. Then once that spirit gets into your mind and your heart, you start questioning everything, and all of a sudden, if one part of it's wrong, it's all wrong. In courtrooms, the phrase, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is common. This should also describe the Spirit of God and how it deals with people. There is no changing or or shadow of turning with God. He doesn't vacillate. In Him is truth. There is no lie. He was truth in the beginning and He'll he'll be truth when it ends. God's doctrine doesn't uh, doesn't bend. It has not vacillated. Uh, The foundation of truth is always the same. The Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? It is a benchmark. Yesterday, when we were out here working, the last two days we were out here working. Jason, when he was getting the measurements and uh, and to get the the the, uh, the 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 grade, there. Thank you, sir. He started with a benchmark, and everything after that was measured from that benchmark. He had to get the measurement, the foundation, the beginning, the point of reference, the point of beginning, which is the benchmark, which is the cornerstone. And everything else after he got that settled, it was settled, it could not change. If you walked by and you kicked that, that laser beam, it was off. But the cornerstone that he set, the benchmark, everything after that was measured from that point of reference. You couldn't go anywhere and get a uh, a measurement because it would have been wrong. It was the cornerstone. It was the benchmark. So everything that is measured should be measured from the point of beginning. And if it doesn't measure from Jesus, the chief cornerstone, it's going to be wrong. So if you... If you want to change Jesus' name baptism, you can't just tear it out of the book. you got to go back to the point of reference, to the benchmark. But you're not going to change Him because He said, I stay the same. I change not. He's the same from the beginning to the end. He's the truth. You cannot change truth. I remember growing up, there was eight or nine planets It was the truth. There was nine planets. If I would have had a teacher, a science teacher, walk in and say, Listen, we're going to throw it it. Pluto. Poor Pluto. We're going to throw Pluto out. There's only eight planets. He would have gotten fired because he wasn't speaking truth according to their truth. But can I tell you something now? My kid comes home from school. I said, How many planets are there? There's only eight. I said, Well, it was nine when I was a kid. So, you see how men's doctrines and teaching, they change. And truth is, is all the sudden becomes just somebody's stupid opinion. And so, some guy says, Well, I'll serve, this is a, this is a God. I'll, I'll put this out there and I'll worship him. Truth does not vacillate, it does not shift, it stands forever. And so that's why you have to build upon the name of Jesus. Because He's the sure foundation and He'll never change. It is still right to be holy. It doesn't change. When I was a kid, holiness was preached. It was right for a woman to look like a woman and a man to look like a man. It was still right to speak holy and talk holy. It's still right. It has not changed. We're not changing because we're fitting society. We're trying to draw different people in different cultures. God does not change to draw cultures. God draws cultures to change cultures to be like Him. God doesn't be, God, listen, I'm about done. God doesn't expect the church to change with cultures so we can draw culture cultures. He expects the church to be like Jesus so the church can be drawn to Jesus. That's why it's so important for this the, the true church, the apostolic church to be separate. And to be holy, why? Because if we're like the world, why would the world want to come to us? We got to be holy, so they can say, "Well, there's something about them. There's a change in them. I need to be like them." There's something about them. Truth does not change. God is only impre- uh, only uh, He's in the truth. He does not speak a lie. Anything He says becomes the truth. Anything he' spoke into existence, it become true. I'm past my time. I've got three pages of notes. He's the creator. He's the word I was listening to the radio. You may stand up, please. I was listening to the radio the other day. And these guys were trying to explain how this world was made through evolution. It is, it is so ridiculous. This guy, he's trying to sound so impressive to people. He's, his vernacular is the way he spoke. Trying to sit, speak so smart, like he was a professor, and he was talking about how the dust particles were flying through space, and 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 the, the heat and everything was perfect condition for this explosion. I'm gonna be honest; with you, I wanted to reach through the radio waves and kick him right in his teeth. And the way he explained it was so far. More fictional, if you will. So, you know, they, they have a hard time understanding that this God, He was always here for eternity. He's always been here. He knows it all. And, and he, he created the, the world, the, the, everything in seven days. and they, they think that's too far-fetched. But then His explanation, I'm like, that is so ridiculous. It's so much easier just to drop your pride and start believing that God is. I'll tell you why people don't want to believe. You want to know where evolution stems from? Number one, pride. It stems from pride. And they do not want a God to answer to. That's where, That's where evolution began. It's for people People, say, I don't really want a God in my life. I don't want to have to obey. I don't want to have to have an authority figure in my life. And so that's where it came came from. Our kids, I, I get angry when my kids come home. And they say, Dad, they taught, they taught us about... I said, here's the deal. They have to teach it as a theory. It's a theory. That's
0: right.
1: it's a theory. But their teachers... There are teachers that are in our classrooms today that are not teaching it as theory anymore. They're teaching it as gospel. They're teaching it as fact. And I, I make sure I tell the teachers, I've told our principal, I said, I'm going to tell you, that evolution stuff's hogwash. And I said, I tell my kids that your teachers are lying to them if they tell them that is the truth. I said, I want you to know that. And our principal in Steinsville, he is an amazing guy. And he says, I believe the same thing. He said, I believe it's a big lie. So, we serve a great God. We serve a loving God. We serve a mighty God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for being such a great God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's come tonight. Let's come tonight and have a wonderful service. Let's come tonight with the mentality to give and not to get. Amen? Amen. Let's come to give God praise and lift up the name of Jesus. Shake somebody's hands. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.